LifeWay Research uh, did just put out a study that said that 61% of Christians fail to share their faith on a regular basis, even though they believe it's, that it's their responsibility. The respondents in this survey said that, well, 50% of them, over 50% of them said that in the last six months, they have not invited one of their non-Christian friends, family members, or co-workers to church. Not one. The survey revealed that Christians, people who say Jesus is their savior, they really struggle to share their faith. And I think there are two reasons for this in your notes if you're a note taker. Christians struggle to share their faith because of fear and because of apathy. Fear of being rejected, fear of not having answers, fear of being put into a category or like, oh, you're one of those fanatics, those religious fanatics who are going to try to convert me. Fear of being thought of as, you know, one of the, too political or put into a, a political persuasion. Fear of offending people in our, in, our, in our world today. Well, you just don't talk about stuff like that at work or at the dinner table. Fear. Fear stops us from sharing our faith. Apathy. Apathy is just basically this feeling that says, I don't care. I couldn't care less about your connection or lack of connection to God, I'm not going to go there. Fear and apathy. If you're a guest with us here today at any of our campuses or if you're watching online on our online campus, we want to welcome you. My name is Danny. We're in a series right now called Good Christian. And what we're going to do is dive into some ideas that will help us to understand if we're on the right track as Christians or we're off track as Christians. Before we do that, I want to say, first of all, happy birthday to our Banta campus celebrating five years today. <clears throat> Cannot believe that. God's doing amazing things through you guys. Also, uh, to the Franklin campus, your building is almost ready. So we are so excited about that. About that. It's coming down the final stretches, and uh, we should be in there by, before Christmas, so that's very, very exciting. And welcome to everybody else watching here at the Greenwood campus and online as well. Uh, so good Christian, good Christian. You know, it's hard to know if you're a good Christian or not so good. Like some of us think we're doing okay, and we're not. Some of us think we're not doing that bad, and we're actually not doing, you know, you know, actually we're doing okay. It's hard to know, like, how do, I, how do I get a grasp on my relationship with God if I'm on the right track or wrong track? In this series, what we said that in week number one is that a good Christian is beginning to desire different things, eternal things, things that will last forever. You can catch that on the podcast if you missed it. And then last week, we talked about how a good Christian is pursuing spiritual community because they know in their heart they cannot become like Jesus by themselves. And they need encouragement and accountability and knowledge and good examples. And so we're trying to do this thing together. That was last week. And so today, what I want to do is kind of talk about another idea that I believe will help us understand whether or not we're on the right track or not. If you're not a Christian today, this is a great series for you to be in on, listening in on, because you'll know what to do should you choose to become a Christ follower or a Christian. In your notes there, a good Christian is someone who is living on mission. They're living on mission. What that simply means is that they understand that it's their job to help other people step into a relationship with Jesus. It's their responsibility. It's, it's, their, it's their calling to live on mission. The Apostle Paul, who is arguably the best Christian to ever live, the greatest Christian to ever live, maybe Peter is, is, a, is a close second, 
he wrote a letter to a bunch of Christians in Rome, in the book of Romans. That's what the book of Romans is. It's a letter. In chapter 10, he says this to the Christians in Rome. But how can they call on him, Jesus, to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him. So basically his argument is someone cannot believe in Jesus unless they hear about Jesus. Now watch watch how his argument unfolds here. And how can they hear about Jesus unless someone, you, me, the Christians in Rome, tells them about him. A person cannot place their faith in Jesus unless they hear and they can't hear unless someone tells them. And how can someone tell them unless someone is being sent? I misread that, so we'll go over it again. And how will anyone go and tell them unless they are sent? Now, what's interesting about this word sent, we get our word apostle from this Greek word. Apostle would be the noun form of the word. We don't have any apostles today, or at least I don't think we do. There were 12 original apostles that followed Jesus around. Um, But the word is, basically means sent one. Now, the verb form of the word means to send, or I'm going to send, apostello. It's just, it's just, that's what the word means. So Paul is saying, unless someone is apostelloed or sent to tell their friends, family members, co-workers, loved ones about Jesus, they will not hear it. And if they don't hear it, they won't believe. And if they don't believe, they won't be saved. Everybody follow the argument? See, a good Christian simply understands that, oh, okay, wait, 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 so you're saying that it's my job, that I'm the sent one, and I'm supposed to go and tell my friends and my loved ones who don't know Jesus about Jesus, and unless I do that, they won't come to have faith in Jesus. Absolutely. That's what a good Christian does. Now, they may not be effective in that. I'm not talking about effectiveness Okay, I'm talking about what you're trying to do or the direction of your life. See, a good Christian understands and has embraced this idea that life is better with God than without God. John, one of the closest people to Jesus, followed him around. He wrote a couple of letters, 1 John, 2 John, the Gospel of John. John wrote this. He said, whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so a good Christian understands that if their mother, father, brother, sister, cousins, co-workers, neighbors, whoever, if they don't have Jesus, they don't have life. Now, this word life is not physical life. It's the word zoe. It's spiritual life, which goes on forever in eternity. And and we're all thankful for that, right? If you died and, and you have Jesus in your life, you go on and you spend, you go to heaven. It's not just that sort of life. It includes that life, but it's also the life here on this earth before you die. And that is abundant life. It's a life filled with purpose and meaning and joy and fulfillment and satisfaction and security and that, that all of those things that, that come with apart from money and finances and the physical things of this world. It's a quality of life. And so people, people good Christians, they just understand that, that it's their job to help other people find this abundant life and eternal life. And so they're trying to do that with their life. See, in your notes, the way I wrote it is this. Every Christian, every Christian is called to live on mission. One of the biggest mistakes that many Christians make is they think, well, when you talk about mission and, 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 and purpose and, and helping people find Christ, isn't that the pastor's job? Like, Pastor Danny, isn't that why the church pays your salary? <laughs> like, isn't that why you have a staff, you know, right? Isn't it the job of the staff to live on mission and, and help people find Christ? And, and I would say, yes, it is. But it's also yours. 
Every Christian is called to live on mission. You say, man, you're making that up. No, I'm not. I'm not. In another letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in Corinth, to the church in uh, the Corinthians, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then he did something. He gave us this ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God reconciled us through Christ. What does that mean? That means through the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. Jesus wiped away, God the Father wiped away the barrier between us and God, brought the two parties back together. That's what it means to be reconciled. You have been reconciled to God through Christ. And then Jesus took the next step and said, now I'm going to give to us, not just the pastors. Paul isn't writing to a group of pastors here. He's writing to a group of Christians. Now I'm going to give to you the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's the message of reconciliation. Mom, dad, brother, sister, co-worker, neighbor, friend, loved one, you don't have to pay for your sins. Someone else did. When Jesus died on the cross, he canceled the penalty of sin and death in your life. You don't have to pay anymore. You might pay if you don't trust Christ, but you don't have to pay anymore because God is no longer counting people's sins against them. Anybody with me? Is that making sense? That's That's the message of reconciliation. God is no longer counting people's sins against them. And he has committed, again, to who? To us, this message of reconciliation. Who, the paid staff? No. Yes, no. The paid staff, the, the pastors, the, 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 the professional Christians? Yes, but no. To all of us, he's committed this message of reconciliation. Therefore, watch what Paul calls every single one of us. Therefore, we are Christ, say it with me, ambassadors. Now, if you, if you remember seventh grade history or eighth grade history, an ambassador is somebody who goes into another country. They represent their country. When they speak, they speak for their country. When they decide something, they're deciding for their country. They are a mouthpiece for their homeland, right? Paul is saying, you are now Christ's representative, and you are to be speaking on behalf of God. Listen, as though God were making his appeal through us. Now, God could grab a megaphone. <laughs> he didn't need one. He could just speak from heaven to the entire globe, be reconciled to me through my son, Jesus Christ. He could do that. Do you agree, yes or no? How come he didn't do that? Well, I don't know. <laughs> you think I know? It'd be a lot easier if he just... Send everybody a text message, you know, be reconciled to me through my son Jesus. Trust him today. You know, it would get it over with, right? Instead, what he does is he gives me, he gives you the ministry of reconciliation as as though God were speaking to the world through us. We implore you, and this is our message. We beg you, we plead with you. That's what this word implore means on Christ's behalf It's as if he's speaking to you right now. Be reconciled to God. Come back to God through Jesus Christ. You don't have to pay for your sins. Whose job is that? Come on, whose job is that? Can we all say ours together? Can we just have some fun? Even online, you're at home, you're in your PJs. Can we just say ours together? Come on, ours. It's not mine. Charles Spurgeon believed this. He's Famous preacher back in the 1800s. Some, some people call him the prince of preachers. He was supposed to be the best preacher ever. He said this, every Christian is either a missionary, a sent one, or an imposter. 
That's how much he believed this. Here's why. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus in a totally silent tongue about him. It's a contradiction. See, as a Christian, you're saying, Jesus is my, my savior. He, he died for me. He washed me. He cleansed me. He gave me mercy. I love him. I treasure him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. He's the most important thing in my life. And then we go to work and we're silent about him? When we're with our friends, we don't talk about him? We don't talk about our faith? How, is that, how can that be? He calls us imposters. 61% of Christians fail to share their faith, even though they know it's their responsibility. Over 50% have not invited a non-Christian friend, family member, or loved one to church in the last six months. We've got problems, don't you think? A good Christian is on mission. Can I do a little side note here? I'm going to go off script. Additionally, if you fail to live on mission as a Christian in this church, you won't last long. You say, How, what do you mean? You're going to leave. You're going to go to the church down the road. Lots of churches in Greenwood, lots of churches in central, central Indiana. Lots of churches to watch online. You say, how do you know that? Because I've been doing this for 12 years, 13 years. And the people who fail to live on mission, here's what happens. Some of you are like this. You're, you're not going to be here in a few months. Can I say that? I just did. <laughs> bye. You can say bye now. You can say bye today. <laughs> Here's what, here's what happens, because I've been doing this long enough. People come four or five years. They love it. They love me. They love the church. They love the sermons. Ah, oh, so awesome. Changed my life. Awesome, awesome. But then what ends up happening is it's all about them. And they've been around the block for a while, and they've heard all my jokes. Okay? They get old. They've heard my sermons. They heard me quote verses. They heard this. They heard, they heard all the stuff. And now it's like, well, it's kind of like, you know, I just want something new. Let's, let's just try, I don't know, you know, different church in the neighborhood. Bye-bye. Because what happens is we turn into consumers as Christians when we fail to live on mission. Somebody tweet that, please. We turn into consumers when we fail to live on mission. It's all about us, and now we're tired of Emmanuel. I've heard everything Danny has to say. Let's go try the other church down the road. It's like, we're, it's like how we treat restaurants. Well, I've been to Applebee's four times, and I had this sandwich and that sandwich. How about we go to this other restaurant? When Christians fail to live on mission, we treat church like we treat our restaurants. Hello. Nobody's saying amen because I'm bothering you because you're not living on mission and you're going to get tired of me and you're going to get tired of the smell in this room and these chairs and the free coffee is not good anymore and you're out of here. Why? Because you are not investing in your friends and bringing them in and inviting them into the journey. I'm, I'm getting a little bit passionate about it. Is that okay? Because I know for some of you, I'm not going to see you. This is our last conversation, perhaps. <laughs> That's just a little side note. That wasn't in my sermon last night. Honestly, let's get back to the sermon. I, I, I want to say this. I, I actually think that living on mission is the simplest thing in the world. I think it's easy. And here's why I think it's easy. It's not because I'm a pastor. Some of you would think that, yeah, but Danny, living on mission, telling people about Jesus, it's easy for you. I mean, look at your teeth. All you got to do is smile. So you're an extrovert. You go into call. Hey, I'm Danny. I love people. So easy. You know what? Can we tell you about Jesus? You, like, I've heard all that before. Oh, that's your, you have the gift of evangelism, Pastor Danny. I'm not like you. I'm an extrovert. I don't really like people that much. I don't talk to people. I get nervous. Hogwash. All excuses. Excuses are like belly buttons. Everybody's got one and they all kind of have some lint inside. Don't you think? <laughs> Gross. Gross. Quit. Drop the excuses. 
Here's why I think it's easy, and it's not because I'm an extrovert, and it's not because of my teeth, and it's not because of any of that junk. It's because it works the same way with food. <laughs> Everything comes back to food, doesn't it? So Jackie and I love to date, so we go out. You know, we hit all the places, Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, you know, Fazoli's. We're, we're, on, we're on it. Tuesday night, kids night at Fazoli's, dollar a kid. No, I'm joking. We try to go to some nicer places and, you know, nothing too expensive. We're on a budget. You know, we've got a big family or whatever. And, and so uh, we enjoy good service on a, on a, once a week or once every other week or whatever. And, and we enjoy a good meal. It's romantic. And we try to connect. No children. And so we love it when other couples come to us and say, hey, do you have a recommendation for a restaurant? We're trying to find a date, date night or whatever. So, oh, have you tried Vito's? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? It's a nice little, it's affordable. You can get a nice little meal. And we, we love to do that. It's easy and it, and it makes us happy because we know that they're going to experience something nice. It's easy and it's joyful. Can I tell you, I, I think that living on mission is the same thing. I think that sharing your faith is easy and joyful because when the Bible describes living a life that is Christ-centered or God-centered or whatever, whatever you want to call it, what you look at in the Bible is it's not an invitation to join a church. It's not an invitation. You don't, you're not going to find in this book an invitation to sign up for a religion. Oh, become a Christian. Now I'm part of the Christian religion or Emmanuel Church. You're not going to find that. I Trust me, I've read this book over and over and over again. It's not, you're not going to find it in this book. Come join a religion. Come join a church. That's kind of, that's you know, I don't know. People aren't even interested in that these days. They don't like organized religion. They don't want to be part of a church. I'm talking about non-Christians. That turns them off. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible, when the Bible talks about living a spiritual life, it's, it's more of like going to a restaurant. Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, that's different. Think of those words. Taste. See? Use your senses. Use your, use your taste buds. Use your eyesight. Use your ears. And come to know that this God is good. Oh, the joys. You can almost hear the psalmist exaggerating or, or, or embellishing or maybe a little bit. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. And so here's why it's easy for me to share my faith. Because my approach to God is not, oh, I get to go to church today. I don't ever get to go to church, really, like you do. Because I'm the preacher. <laughs> it's not about church for me and it's not about religion. For me, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to, to taste and understand that the God of the universe is love, and he is mercy, and he is wisdom, and his heart is righteous, and he can be trusted. And so in my life, I've come to taste and see that God is ultimate reality. And he is everything that my heart longs for. And he is the satisfaction of every thirst and craving of my soul. 
And so then imagine me having those experiences on a regular basis, bumping into somebody in Starbucks. That's most likely where it happens. And they show some sort of interest or some open door to conversation happens. What's my invitation sound like? Doesn't it sound like my wife and I went to this amazing restaurant last night. I ordered the filet. It was so tender. Every bite I was salivating. It was unbelievable. You have to go. <laughs> go tonight. Can you get there? They're like, what are you doing? Cancel your plans. Doesn't my invitation into a spiritual life sound like an invitation to a restaurant because I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good? I'm not inviting people to church. Half the time, I don't like church, and I'm the pastor. I'm inviting people in to taste, to take God into their soul, and to experience life the way it was designed to be lived. And I didn't put this in your notes, but this is true. We easily and joyfully tell others about what we are enjoying and benefiting from ourselves. And that's, that's what living on mission is all about. And you got to check it out Sunday. You got you to be there. It's going to be great. You come and taste and see. Now, I know practically speaking, we have to have a bit of a strategy, you know, when we're trying to help our family members and coworkers, loved ones get here and experience and find Christ. So what does that strategy actually look like? It should be easy, but what does it look like? It looks like you start with prayer. Number one, we start with prayer. We pray for these people. We can't convert anybody. We can't make people trust Jesus. We can't make them believe. So we ask God, open their hearts. And what prayer does is it helps us overcome our apathy. Remember, remember the problem with sharing our faith a lot of times, we just don't care. But when you're praying for somebody, all of a sudden that stirs your heart. And, and, and now, you're, now you're burdened for them. You don't want your friends and family members and coworkers to spend eternity apart from God and to miss out on the abundant life that Jesus offers them right now. So you start praying and you start to care. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 10. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Like this evangelism, if you want to, that's the, word of, that's the word that describes the process of helping people find Christ. Evangelism is the process of helping people to know Jesus. And it begins with prayer. Prayer leads, leads to you caring. Warren Wiersbe said this, you're a Christian today because somebody cared. Now it's your turn. You get it? So you can say, I got it. Come on a little bit louder. Say, I got it. The reason you're here today, if you're, a, if you're a Christ follower, is because someone in your life, a parent, a friend, a coach, a teacher, a friend, someone in your life cared enough to say, hey, I don't know what you're doing this weekend. I don't know where, could you make it? Could you be there? We're gonna go to hear the message. We're gonna, and you at some point said, okay, I'm in. Now it's your turn. But you gotta care. And caring starts with prayer. Number, then number two, you got to live it out. you got to live out your faith. What do I mean by that? Listen, if your lifestyle doesn't match up with the message, you're going to be labeled a hypocrite. Hypocrisy drives people away from Jesus. Do you understand that? Yes or no? Yes or no? Like, like, they, like, like hypocritical Christians are the number one argument against faith, against Christianity. Why do I want to be part of something that's not even working for you? I see how you treat the waitress when you're in a restaurant. I see how unfaithful you are to your spouse. I see how you lie on the reports and you hand it into the boss. You're going to tell me about faith? No, thank you. We have to live out our faith. 
When our lifestyles match the message, then we become credible. That's when people pull up a chair and say, well, you know what? You're the real deal. Let me hear more. If it's working for you, if it's changed your life, if it's, cha- if it's changing your heart, if you have more peace and joy and love, if you're becoming a person who does the right thing consistently, maybe I ought to listen into what you got. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5. For once you were full of darkness before you knew Christ. Your whole life was full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live that way. Live as people of light. I heard it said one time, your lifestyle is screaming so loudly in my ears, I cannot hear your words. St. Francis of Assisi said it this way. Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. My message, my primary message does not come from this platform. My primary message comes from how I do my marriage. My primary message comes from how I do my parenting. My message comes from how I treat people in the community. And when, I, when it's necessary, when the opportunity comes, I use words. If our lifestyle doesn't match what we say we believe, people don't want to hear anything about it. So we start with prayer, then we live out our faith, and then number three, eventually we got to do something. I mean, again, God's not going to send a text message to the, to the entire seven billion people on the planet. He's going to do something through us. He's going to get the message out through us as though God were speaking to people through us. That's his plan. So we got to do something. What does that look like? It doesn't mean Monday morning you go into the office and you start, you gather, you gather everybody around in the, in the conference room and say, guys, <laughs> repent. <laughs> okay? That's, that's not what I mean by do something. Okay? So let's back up from there. Let's start with something like an invitation. Let's just say, hey, well, I don't know what you're doing this weekend, but we got you know, church. I think you'd really enjoy it. Matt Randall was telling me a quick story the other day. He said he went to go get a haircut. First of all, I thought, why? You know, you just get a buzz. I said, yeah, I could probably do it for free. You know, you don't have to go over there. But Matt, I love you. you he, I owe him big time for that. Great sport. Anyway, he went to go get a haircut. She was buzzing his hair, just, just doing the buzz cut. And he recognized the girl. He had went to high school with her. And so what Matt did was he was like, oh, this is my chance. So he had, his, he had his little pocket Bible in his back pocket. So right after the haircut was over, he pulled out his Bible and brought her to John 3.16 right there. And he said, look, this is for God so loved the world. Only begotten son, believe in him, should not perish. You want to pray that prayer? And crazy thing, she prayed right there in the, in the barbershop and she got saved. No, 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 it didn't happen that way. It didn't happen that way. Not at all. <laughs> That's not what happened. That's not what happened. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> Matt did not pull out his Bible and preach at the girl right there in the barbershop. You know, what, you know what he did? True story, two weeks ago. He said to her, he said, hey, Mary, I don't know what you got going on this weekend, but uh, we get these services going on in Emmanuel. We'd love to have you come and check it out. I think you'd really, really enjoy it. She said, you know, I might do that. So sure enough, she checks it out. And Matt got an email last week. And here's what the email said. I wish I had it. I'll read it to you. But to sum it up, it said, hey, Matt, thank you for the invitation. I put my trust in Christ and I received him as my savior and thank you so much for the invitation. Isn't that awesome? That's what happened. It, you don't have to be this, you know, 
Apostle Paul missionary to make an invitation. You just got to seize an opportunity and, and leverage it and say, hey, I don't know what you're doing, but come on over and check it out. Another quick story, really quick. Uh, we have one of our newest staff members, her name is Linnea, a fantastic young girl. She, back in 2015, she was at work. Her friend invited her to come to one of our services. She wasn't going to church. She wasn't following Christ. She accepts the invitation. She shows up here at the Greenwood campus and she texts her friend and says, I'm here standing by the coffee. And her friend says, no, you're not because I'm here standing by the coffee. Well, her friend was at the Banda campus and she was at the Greenwood campus. She didn't know we were a multi-site church. Great story. She'll tell it some other time herself, but... Long story short, she comes, she loves it. She ends up going to Banta for over a year and, and getting plugged in. Start, she jumps in, starts to serve on the impact team, gets in a small group, places her faith in Christ, goes on two mission trips, gets baptized in Columbia, and now she's on staff here at the church. And you track all that back and it's like, well, how did that happen? At work one day, one coworker to another, hey, I don't know what you're going on. I don't know what you got going on this weekend, but we're, you know, we got this awesome church. I really love it. I think you'd be, you'd be blessed by it. Why don't you check it out? And she did. Changed the whole direction of her life. Changed her forever and her eternity. Do something. This is what the woman at the well did. She left her water pot, John chapter four. She went into town. She told the Samaritans, the rest of everybody, come see a man who told me everything about myself. John chapter four, watch this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And then what ended up happening is they talked Jesus into staying for two more days. Watch what happens after he's preaching. And many more became believers. The woman didn't get the Bible out. The woman didn't start preaching at people. She just said, come and see. Make an invitation. Maybe it's also, maybe do something looks like you hand out a resource. Maybe you have the case for Christ or the case for faith or you have a podcast or you have some sort of something to read or listen to in, in your trunk and you just carry this stuff with you because you know you're on mission. You might meet somebody today that needs a resource. They might not come to church, but they might read a book. They might not read the book, but they might listen to the podcast and you hand out that resource. Do something, do something. Maybe doing something looks like a conversation. And I gotta be real careful with this because conversations can get sideways real quick. And here's how I protect myself against having conversations go poorly. I'm very patient with people. You can't be quick with people, especially when it comes to faith and Jesus and eternity and all those, all those issues. So when the opportunity comes up for me to have a conversation with someone who's not a Christian, I start with questions. And the question I start with, I've never, actually, I've never actually had a conversation go poorly when I start with this question. Tell me about your religious background. Like, do you have any church experience, church background? It's such a good question, not because I came up with it, <laughs> but rather because people love to talk about their own story. Well... My mom, my mom and dad used to drag us to church. We went every weekend, Sunday, Wednesday. I, I hated it. Now I just wanted nothing to do it. Then I went to college and I kind of drifted even more. And now I've got some kids and I kind of figured they need some religious upbringing. So now we're kind of looking for a church. There's always a story. Or growing up, my parents, they weren't religious at all. So we never went to church. So I have no idea what's going on. Like I've never heard the stuff you're talking about, whatever. There's always a story and people love to talk about it. And after I have heard their story, I ask a second question. So given all of that, you know, your background and your history, where are you at now? Are you, are you, are you interested? Are you seeking? And the answer to that question allows me to discern whether or not I can press in a little bit more and a little bit more. It lets me know if they're seeking or if they're closed off. 
And you just kind of go down the direction of asking questions and listening, asking questions and listening. Listen, this is what Stephen Covey taught us years ago when he wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? You seek first to understand, then to be understood. Some of you need to read the book. (laughs) You seek first to understand, then you earn the right to be understood because at some point the conversation turns and they say, well, what's your story? Oh. Well, let me tell you, I was ambushed by grace. I mean, when I was 17, I was overwhelmed by love. It wasn't church, it wasn't religion, it was this person of Jesus who showed me incredible mercy and grace that changed my life forever. Wow, that's different. It's not like they can say to me, well, no, that didn't happen. (laughs) You're wrong, Danny, see, that wasn't Jesus. That was a UFO that came and you were zapped on your brain and locked on and sucked your, you know, your reasoning powers away, you know. They can't say that. I mean, I guess they could. But I'm not arguing with people. I'm not even preaching at somebody. I'm telling my story because I listen to their story. And when I tell my story, I'm giving the details of what it looks like to have their life transformed by grace and receive love and find out what their true identity is and what their true calling is and what their true purpose is. All the time, I'm just telling my story. I'm describing what could be true for them without preaching at them. I start with questions and I earn the right to be heard and then I tell my story. And then I might circle back two weeks later, six weeks later, and say, hey, remember that conversation we had? Any, you, did that go anywhere? Did you ever attend a service? Did you ever come? Or, would you now? Are you any more interested now than you were back then? Questions. Do something. Have a conversation. Give out a resource. Make an invitation. Do something. Pray for these people. Live out your faith. Live on mission. We call it the relentless pursuit around here. We've got boards at all of our campuses. We have pens out there. It's not graffiti, folks. Those are not, those are not times to pray for the politicians. We should pray for our politicians. But we don't write prayers for politicians on the wall. We write the names down of the people who are far from God that we're praying for. We're on a relentless pursuit to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. Let me ask you a question. Are you living on mission? I want you to wrestle this question to the ground. 61% of Christians do not share their faith. Are you in that 61%? Over 50% of Christians have not invited a non-Christian friend to church in the last six months. Are you living on mission? I'm telling you what, if you're not living on mission at this church, you won't be here very long. Because we're, we're on a relentless pursuit to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 8. He said, no one lights a lamp and hides it. Puts it in a, jay, a, jar, a clay jar or under a bed. No. Instead, what we do is we put it on a stand so that those in the room can see the light. We take this and we say, you have to, you have to see this, this abundant life, this eternal life. You have to know him. Come and taste. Come and see and know that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who put their, refer- their trust in him. When I die, and when you die, we're going to face a judgment. Every one of us. For Christians, it's the judgment seat of Christ. For non-Christians, it's a different judgment. Either way, it's going to be a judgment. And so a lot of, sometimes I'll just sit and I'll, I'll think about that judgment. And I think what I'll say at some level, I'll say, Jesus, uh, I tried. Good husband, I tried to be a good father. I tried to tell the truth. I tried to be honest. I tried, I tried. I know I've blundered and stumbled. And thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. 
But one of the things I focused on a lot was living on mission. And I tried to articulate the gospel and the ministry of reconciliation. And I tried to invite as many people as I could in. And so I did my best with that. And here are the folks behind me that I tried to bring with me. Some level of that. A couple thousand people maybe. And I envision that moment. I envision him saying to me, um, good, good job. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And that is what I want to hear from him because I chose to live my life on mission. How about you? Because that, that, that day is coming and you're called to live on mission. You are called to be an ambassador. You have been given the ministry of reconciliation. What will your judgment look like? Imagine Billy Graham's judgment, by the way. He already had it, but you imagine, well, Jesus, here I am, and here's the five million people I brought with me. I mean, that'd be awesome. No? Okay, some of you are like, who's Billy Graham? Ah, okay, okay, okay. Are you living on mission? Someone was living on mission this weekend because you're here and you're not a Christian and someone invited you and, and, and you're like Mary and you're like Linnea and you're like, okay, uh, this is interesting. The, the reason that that person invited you is because they wanted you to hear this part of the talk right here. You were designed to be in a relationship with God. Like the ministry of reconciliation says that God through Christ was no longer counting your sin against you. Like if you should choose, you don't have to pay for your sins because Jesus on the cross paid for your sins. He paid the penalty, he paid the price. And then he rose from the grave three days later, conquering that penalty. And if you should trust him, if you should put your faith in him, not join a religion, not join a church, but trust in Jesus, you will be reconciled to God. And your friend, your loved one, family member, coworker brought you here to hear that message. What will you do with it? I hope, I hope you'll just take it and embrace it, trust Christ today and, and be reconciled to the Father and become a child of God. He said, how do you do that? Well, you, you just reach out in faith. In fact, I'm gonna give you a simple prayer of faith right in this moment. Take these words, make them your own. Reach out to Christ. Tell him you believe in him. Tell him that you trust him. Ask him to wash you of your sin and you will be reconciled to the Father right now. If this moment is for you, if you feel that tug on your heart, just pray right now with me. Close your eyes, bow your head. Everyone who's already a believer, pray for those who are about to make this decision. Just say to him right now, dear Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for paying the penalty for my sin. Thank you for no longer counting my sins against me. I receive your forgiveness today. I trust you as my savior. Wash me. Cleanse me of my sin. I believe in you. And from this day forward, help me to live on mission. Help me to invite my friends and my family members and co-workers and neighbors into this amazing journey. Help them to come and taste and see that you are good. 
I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Can we give God glory, guys, today? Come on, guys, nice and loud. If you just prayed that prayer, Emmanuel would love to put a free Bible in your hands. If you prayed online, you can check a box there that says, I accepted Christ, I trusted Christ. Put your address in there. We'll send one of these to you in the mail. If you did it at any one of our campuses, there's tables in the back of the auditorium. You can pick one of these up. Grab that, begin reading and growing your faith. One more time, can we give God glory? Amen. What a joy, what a privilege. At this time, we're gonna hand things off to our campus teams and our campus pastors. They have a special announcement for you.